0: Another episode of the Aquatic Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Van Eyck, and in today's episode, I interview an industry professional who's been working in aquatics for several years, gaining a variety of experiences in her different roles. So please extend a big welcome to the podcast for Shona Palace. Shona began her career in the aquatic industry while still in high school, working at a local swim school for a week of work experience. That week had a massive impact on her and she has built her career around aquatics ever since. Starting her career at a local swim school, Shona then moved into the Pool saddler franchise, working a local facility before purchasing her own facility with business partners at the age of 25. From then on, Shona has had many roles in the Pool Saddler franchise, including a regional manager position, marketing manager and now the director of infant fun and safety. In her current role, Shona had the opportunity to travel to Canada to study successful infant programs, and she didn't let COVID stop her from researching infant programs in India and similar programs run locally. Shona used the information she found to rewrite and upgrade the Paul Sadler infant program, making sure all their lessons are run trauma-free. Shona is a great example of how working in the industry can inspire someone to change their dream career and build a life around aquatics. Through today's episode, Shona shares some insights into her work as well as her thoughts on swimming and where she sees swimming moving to into the future. Please share the hidden gems you find in Shona's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you'll find her contact details in the show notes. If you want to share your aquatic journey, please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. I'd love to share your story as an episode on the podcast so others can learn from your journey. Check out our website aquaticmentors.com.au for our season one ebook, which shares the top 10 tips and tricks from our season one episodes. So let's dive in and find out more about Shona's journey in swimming. So Shona, how did you start your journey in swimming?
1: I accidentally got into swimming, Katrina. I was looking for somewhere to do work experience because I was going to be a genetic scientist. And I had one week lined up in genetic science and needed another week. So mum goes, why don't you just go and work at the pool? I've got a friend, whatever, and ended up doing work experience at the pool and loved it. So that was back in 1993 at Beaconsfield Swim School, and I ended on up staying on there part time after I finished work experience, and have kind of never left. <laughs> wow! So, yes. did you finish your degree? So that was while I was in high school. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And then I went on to do a degree in sports coaching and business administration. Yep. So I completed that and was going to go and work for the then Melbourne Phoenix Netball Club. Oh, cool. That was sort of where I was headed and I was pretty passionate about that but was still working at Swimland. And, yeah, so when I was going to leave, Paul sort of approached me and his business partner Joanne at the time and just said, well, what about if we offer you a management role here instead? So I thought, yep, that worked really well. So I stayed on as the assistant manager at Paul Sadler Swimland in Hampton Park. And then... Not long after that, there was an opportunity to look at buying into a pool. So I then became a business partner with Paul and Joanne and, and Tammy Van Wyss and Heather Rose in Paul Settlers Land Landary Warren. So that was wow. back in 2003. And so I'm I've, I've either the most loyal employee or I'm the laziest employee. I'm not sure which one it is because I've never left. Paul was at Beaconsfield in 1993 when I was there. It was Beaconsfield Swim School. And Paul was part of that. And then he left the business and I stayed. So I haven't been with Paul the entire time. There was a little hiatus where he left and I stayed. And then he was opening the Hampton Park Swim School in 1998 and asked me if I would come along there. So I left Beaconsfield at the end of 1997 and joined Joanne and Paul in 1998 at Hampton Park and have been with
0: uh, the Swimland brand since. Wow, what a commitment. I'm going to say it's commitment, not lazy. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's what I say. It's, it's loyal or lazy, one or the other, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, nah, we'll go loyal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have had that experience in between though. And I think that's fantastic that you've been loyal, you've seen a good product, I suppose, and a good swim school and really put yourself right into it. And it's that loyalty I think we need in swimming. There is a place for changing and going to different places, but we need to build that loyalty, that understanding. And also I suppose it just builds that commitment in a a swim school as well and what you then teach to the kids.
1: And I think I've been really lucky in terms of my role has changed a lot throughout the time that I've been with Swimland. So I haven't just been in the water teaching babies the same thing every week or anything like that. I've been really fortunate that I've had mentoring roles. I've been a regional manager within the Swimland business. I've run the marketing department for a while. I've been in operations. I've uh, I've kind of flipped around roles. I'm, my current title is a champion of fun knowledge and awesome experiences. <laughs> <laughs> which which means I kind of get to do all the fun things. And, yeah, it's an operational role now, which is really great. So that's with the franchise company and then I still get to obviously have influence back at the pools that I own.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I love that title. We all yes. need funky titles like that. I can't remember what comps I went to and they had, yeah, the, the different funky titles. I think that's cool. But yes, It is. You need that funding in a swim school and to be able to have someone who's an ambassador and that's their role. But also I think like I found being in regional, you've got to take on all the opportunities that are out there. Correct. It all relates back. It all gives you that experience to run a good swim school, to be a good swim teacher or coach. So I think it's giving you those opportunities out there and then you can come and build up Paul Sadler and make a difference in the system.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where being part of an organisation like Paul Sadlison Land is actually really advantageous because we do have greater opportunities because we've got multiple centres. So when when you're a small little regional operation, unfortunately, you know, it is when there's an owner and a manager, there's probably not a lot of growth room for other people underneath that. We're really lucky because we're a bigger network that we do have opportunities for managers in training and young people to come through and develop in the business. And that's the bit that I, I think really lights my fire. I love to inspire and influence these young kids as they come through our organisation and see then where they can go on and who they can become, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, and hopefully in a way inspire them to put back into the industry and continue as swim teacher or take on that management role or right. take what they learn from being an aquatics to their new line of work, whatever they do.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think that being a, a swim teacher really helps align people for future careers outside of the aquatics industry really well we have obviously a lot of school teachers training school teachers that come through our pools but we also have a lot of nurses physiotherapists sports therapists and all those sorts of things so anywhere where people are dealing with children and dealing in customer experiences we give them a really great grounding for that when they're moving through which is awesome
0: yeah. Perfect. I like that. I really do. It's, and I can tell by the training that I do with you guys, the development that you put into the teachers, it's not just, you know, we've discussed this before, a quick wham, you've got a course, here you go, your qualification. It's actually understanding what goes into them.
1: Yeah. hundred percent.
0: Beautiful. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your swimming journey? I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that
1: people don't remember what you said and did, but they remember how you made them feel. And I think that often we can get caught up with lesson plans, rules, regulations, compliance, et cetera, et cetera. We need to remember that we teach kids to swim and it's awesome. Teaching kids to swim is the funnest job you'll ever have. And so I think we need to just remember that how we make the kids feel is what they're going to remember and take out of their swimming lessons. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned along the way. And also that you'll never know how many lives you've saved. Yeah. And that's the beauty of being a swimming teacher, is that you'll never fully yet be able to measure the number of lives you saved. But that's a pretty cool place to be.
0: Yeah, and you don't know what you've done, how you've saved them, or you've helped them understand. I think that's amazing to be able to offer that opportunity.
1: Yeah, we get to change lives for the better, whether that's our swimmers in the pool, the parents who we get to influence and, and teach on poolside, or our team members who come through, and we develop them in from young adults through to, to grown adults. And hopefully we've changed their lives for the better along the journey as well.
0: Yep, exactly. It might drop perfect. Exactly what it's about. I also like your first point in regards to how you make them feel and instead of what you say and done, because I worked in aged care for a while. And I noticed one thing was that when CEOs and managers get up to those roles, they forget what it's like to work on the floor. They forget what it's like and how you've got to relate to people. And getting someone dressed in the morning is not just a five-minute job in out. It's how you're going, how was your night, can we have a chat about this, how you're feeling. There's a lot more personal that goes into it. And the amount of rules and regulations that they had put on for aged care by the time I finished, I was like, this is crazy because You can't remember what it's like getting 20 people dressed in an hour. Yeah. It couldn't be done, but they said, no, it had to be done. And if you weren't ready to do then blah, blah, blah. So always my passion was if I ever got into those management roles and taken on those opportunities, I had to remember what it was like to swim teach. Yes. You need to remember the passion and the engagement that you've got to have with kids. It doesn't become just business orientated. It's still going to have that passion behind. That's
1: exactly right. And a a kid's long-term aquatic experience is going to come down to how you've made them feel in the water when they've been a four or five-year-old in the pool with you. If you want them to love that water for a lifetime, you need to really be making sure that they leave every lesson feeling pretty awesome.
0: Yep, exactly. Perfect. So what's been the biggest highlight of your journey so far? Uh, There's been a
1: few. Opening my own swim school, that was pretty awesome. So back in 2003, as I mentioned, with um, Paul and Joanne and Heather and Tammy, that that was a, a great roller coaster and a learning curve and what have you. I was at 25, 26 at the time, and so that was pretty amazing to be going through that with that team. So that was definitely a highlight. Opening that, going through the whole process of the build and the marketing, and we used to have weekly meetings about where we're going to go, and and then just growing that swim school. So that's been you know, a real highlight for me. I think. Getting to rewrite the infant program for Swimland, that was also been a real highlight for me, doing the research and going overseas and doing a little bit of a study tour and and trying to sort of pick the best bits out of different cultures and how they adapt to the water and then bring them back to our program. That's been a really exciting journey. And as we mentioned before we started, Katrina, you know, that was supposed to be fully rolled out at the start of 2020 but given COVID and the hiccups we've had along the way you know I really look forward to seeing that in full flight over the coming months hopefully and and really you know seeing the impact of that research and things in our infant program and I think the third thing is actually just seeing my own children go through their swimming journey and forgetting what it's like for a new mum who gets their baby in the water for the first time as a four five six month old depending on when your program starts and and that highlight for me of being in the water with my own kids and feeling like I had two left hands and I'm like I've been doing this forever how can it be different with my own child but it really was and it was a really really special time in the water with them and I think that really reignited my passion for babies and and what babies are capable of yeah so I think that probably was a real highlight and a real career changing point for me was actually taking some leave and being with my kids and then coming through the program as a parent.
0: It's amazing. It gives you that other perspective. I know so with my kids teaching them to swim and that's one of the reasons I got into it. But it's different having your kids to someone else's kids. Yes, um, You know, as a new mum and all the emotional stuff we go through, and that's something I bring up in the courses and, you know, you've got to understand that a new mum walking into a facility with their child, they don't know what's going on. They, you know, suddenly their child starts crying in a lesson. They think they're bad parents. The emotional stuff that comes with the, oh, can I move my child this way? Will they break? It gives you that understanding so much more to be able to then use it into your own lessons. 100%.
1: But it also comes down back down to what I said before around it's how we make them feel. So when that parent comes in and they're nervous and anxious, how do we make that parent feel when they come into our program for the first time or into our facility? And as teachers, what do we do to relax the parent and relax the child and make that experience so wonderful that they do want to just continually come back to the pool every week?
0: Yeah. So it's how do we
1: make them feel in that moment that makes them go, wow, this is the coolest thing in the world
0: that's it yep the engagement the connection with the parent and then also carrying them through teaching them that process and how they change from being a parent of a child baby in the water to them being out of the water how their child develops as a toddler and then into the competitive side if they want to that side or just having fun but then also there's a difference of parent with their first baby to parent with their second, third, and fourth <laughs> baby. How much? They're like, you take it. I don't
1: care. I describe it as the first baby is held up above the water. Maybe their legs are dangling in the water. Yes. The second baby, the parent probably holds them to about their belly button. And by the third baby, you're reminding the parents to keep their airways above the water.
0: <laughs> exactly it. That's perfect.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Three stages of parenting. That's exactly right. I love it. That's such a good uh, understanding of it. Perfect. (laughs) I want to point out two other parts there in your answer as well, your research trip. How amazing to be able to have the excuse to go travel (laughs) and say it's work as well. Um, Yes. (laughs) I I was very, very spoilt that um, my Canadian friends were
1: wanting me to head over there to do some work with them over in, in Canada. So we just sort of tacked on a little bit of a... trip around and and what have you to to have a look at some other swim schools and and then (laughs) the plan was to head to India to do a little bit of work over there I wanted to have a look at some programming that they were running over there but because of our um, little friend COVID that sort of put a little bit of a hiccup into that but I've done a fair bit of research online around the programming and things that they run over there and watched a similar program running in Portland that was really exciting and it was a little bit of an eye-opener, but also a little, a little bit refreshing to know that we were pretty much on the mark with where we were headed. We've made some, some changes, but what we were doing was already pretty good. Yeah. I think the real opportunity arose from the presentation that Janine Ramsey ran at the ASA conference around the trauma-free swimming, mm-hmm. and that really hit home to us at land around what parts of our lesson could we be causing trauma unintentionally yeah. And that sort of started our thinking where we went, we need to make some changes. where We were doing what was probably deemed as industry best practice. However, it was still probably at points causing some trauma to some children along the journey. So that was probably one of those pivotal moments for us where we went, we actually need to make some changes. And we created what we've called the pathway to happy swimmers and a whole process around just making sure that kids and families stay comfortable and relaxed at all times in our program.
0: Perfect. And that's exactly what we want. If they're relaxed and comfortable, they're going to come back. Correct. they want to do it. Yep. Yeah.
1: And we want kids to love the water. We don't necessarily need kids to be Olympic swimmers or all kids to be Olympic swimmers. We'd like some of them to be, obviously. But we don't need all kids to be Olympic swimmers, but what we need them to do is be comfortable and safe in the water.
0: Yeah. The other thing I want to tap into with your answer is you said about you were 26, 25, 26 when you opened your first swim school. Yes. When I was 25, 26, opening a swim school and doing all of that would have blown my mind. How did you do that? And is that something you would recommend to younger people in our industry?
1: I think if you can have a go at it, have a go if you feel you're ready. I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof at that age. I thought I was invincible
0: we all are
1: <laughs> with, age, age. with age can a little bit of wisdom that apparently I'm not but <laughs> yeah I would 100% say if you have the opportunity the, the opportunity was offered to me and I took it with both hands so I was also the, the managing director at that point of the pool as well so I was managing the pool and I just loved it I was there at five in the morning when the the club swimmers would roll in and I was there at nine o'clock at night when uh, we'd lock up and at that age you've got the energy and time to do it. So, if you feel like the time's right for you and you have the means to do it, I would just encourage anyone to have a go at it. It really was a great time in my life to do that. I gained a lot of experience very quickly. Um, <laughs> I but I was also exceptionally lucky to have the support of, you know, particularly Heather and Joe, who were there with me day to day, just for bouncing off ideas, support. I think Joe worked there one day a week and Heather was there two or three at the start and just having their backup where I go oh this has just happened not sure what I should do or parents come in with this or something's happened in the building I also had Dirk Kiesman Joe's husband who was the coach of the swimming club at the time he was at the pool sort of four days a week as well so he kind of picked up the void of handyman if I needed it or helped me with the tradies if there was issues and (laughs) and things like that so I'm as much as you know I did it myself. I definitely didn't do it myself. I had the support of some some fantastic people around me. And I think that's the key to opening any business is just making sure you've got your village
0: ready to back you up. And my village is awesome. So I was very lucky. <laughs> that is an amazing village. I think it's exactly it. You can do these things, but you have to have that village behind you, that support to be able to try it and experiment. And if shit hits the fan, you've got someone else to help you out and give you guidance as well.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't need to be somebody that's necessarily a business partner. In my case, they were my business partners, so that was fine. But, you know, it could be a family friend, it could be a parent, it could be an auntie and uncle, whatever. But whenever you want to try a new venture, it's great just to have other sounding boards, people that you can fall back on for advice and, and to get that information that you might be missing or to bounce an idea or just something where you're not sure where to go next, to have somebody to talk to helps immensely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just that experience. And it is just even for day-to-day day life. Having
1: someone to, talk to.
0: Yeah,
1: And, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky that I think particularly with Heather Rose, who I worked probably the closest with at Nari Warren, but her skill sets just complement mine. I'm pretty big picture, let's go, we can do this, I've got an idea, blah, blah. Heather dots my I's and crosses my T's. And so that works really, really well together because it just means that I know I can think a bit big picture and a bit, you know, maybe a little bit more radically and, and trial new things, knowing that Heather will make sure that we're compliant and that we're safe and that I'm not going to do anything silly and and that she's just that great sounding board to, to bounce that off. And even though Heather has retired, I still would talk to her about all of any big business decisions just to go, am oh, I missing anything here? So for me, having that support back from key people around you is just absolutely monumental to the success of a business.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's something that's emphasised for a lot of big businesses. I remember listening to some or reading something about Walt Disney and he was the big picture person. He had the ideas, he had the engagement and it was brother would come along and tie up those loose ends. Same with Mark Boris from the Yellow Brick Road. He's the same thing. He says he lays out the sewing or the cloth and his brother comes up behind and ties it all together for him and sews it all together. You need that one that can really stabilize you if you are a big picture person, to have that sort of driving behind you that can just take up the slack and dot those I's and cross those T's. Yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you get carried away. Yes. Heard a lot from my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. So was there anyone that played a big role in your swimming journey, like a mentor or a family member? Well, I think, you know, I've just mentioned Joe and Heather
1: in particular, but Joe was definitely a big picture thinker, very creative. I don't know anyone else who actually thinks like Joe. It's a crazy world to live in her mind sometimes, that's for sure. <laughs> but I think her passion for infant aquatics and her knowledge on babies really drove me to having my passion in the industry. I think that that influence was awesome and, and she was definitely a mentor for me through her baby teaching and also just her engagement and passion and, and that's something that I take with me all the time and you know when we spoke before about not forgetting what it's like to be at the bottom to, to, to be the, the new teacher starting I think Joe was amazing at that and the the All Blacks in their book Legacy speak about sweeping the sheds and I think that that's something you know we really passionate about at Swimland is getting your hair wet, like still jump in and get your hair wet. Like it's really important for us to be in the water doing what everybody else is doing so we understand what it's like so that no one can come back and go, you don't know, you don't know what it's like to do this. You know, we're really passionate about sweeping the sheds and making sure that we're still getting our hair wet. And I think that that's something Jo did amazingly well. She taught, was still teaching right until the day she retired. Yeah. In fact, her retirement party was us on the side of the pool whilst she was teaching. It was like... (laughs) because she was just so passionate about her classes and her babies. And, and I think that that's definitely something that will live on at Sunland, not just with me, but will live on at Sunland for a very long time. She's had a huge influence in on the industry as a whole.
0: I love that. And it is about, yeah, continue to get your hair wet because as we know lives change the makeup of a person changes I mean the amount of times I hear and it's one of those yeah you know how we have well they have those trigger phrases that just annoy mm, us yeah. and it's it wasn't done like that when I started mm, or is that yeah. not how it was done back in my day <laughs> like, well love it's changed yeah. uh, you've had your day <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah I think that's it you've got to understand that it changes but the only way you can understand that changes is by getting your hair wet and being in that pool still
1: yeah and so I think that that was really important I also you know when you talk about your learnings along your journey I probably had some and I would definitely not call them mentors but people who taught me lessons about things I would never do (laughs) I had a few few leaders along the way where I was like well I'm never going to treat somebody else like that and those learnings probably stick with you as much as the learnings from your mentor I had one particular boss that wasn't with some land that used to teach with a stick and used to poke kids with a stick in the water and that was acceptable practice back then and I was like I'm never teaching a kid with a stick Never, I'm never pushing a kid there and there was a whole lot of ethos that they had in their program at that point where I was like "Mm." If I'm ever running a swim school, that's not going to happen. And so I think that the learnings we learn along the journey from the good and the bad both equally make up who we are and our philosophies in teaching. And it's important that, you know, for our young teachers as they're coming through, that they're learning from those other opportunities as well, not just seeing the amazing teacher and go, I want to be like them, but what did you learn from the mistakes? What did you learn from the things that you thought, oh, that didn't sit well with me? You know, there's a really cool saying that says, in matters of style, you swim with the current, but in matters of principle, standard solid is a rock. Like and that's, that. something, that's something that's really stuck with me along the journey as well. So if it's something where you can go, actually, does it really affect the outcome? Is it a really a big deal? It's a style thing. It's just their style. That's cool. Roll with it. Is this something that actually impacts my values and affects my, my values? Well, then you need to stand solid and stick up for that. And I think, you know, that again, that's not necessarily just a swimming lesson. That's a life lesson around going, if you can stick to that, if something doesn't sit with your values, then it's probably not right. right. Yeah. And and to never doubt that. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's not right for the other person. It just means it's not right for you. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. And I also put to my new teachers coming through when I train them to say, look, if you see something, you don't agree with it, go and ask them why they teach it like that. Correct. Correct. And find out because you may find when you actually, and there's something I've found over my time is whenever I talk to people, I find out a new way of doing things and you then take on board, would I do it that way? Okay, I can see that works. It's not so bad now I understand it. Or no, I still wouldn't do it that way. I'd prefer this way. But you don't judge them for it. It's like you said, what works for them works for them. You can learn and then adapt it and use it for how you want or go, okay, that works for them. I'm not going to do it unless it's, safety orientated and it's harmful for the child and things like that that's right but yeah take on board but understand why they're doing it because they'll have a reason whether it's that's how I learned when I first started and I haven't changed (laughs) that's how it's always been done (laughs) done yes gotta love those ones that hasn't become a trigger word for me yet but I know it has (laughs) (laughs) so talking on that and the advice you're giving new teachers coming through any other advice you would give to teachers and coaches? I think that the key to being a great
1: teacher is being kind and building great rapport. Yeah. So I think, if, you know, we touched on all of that before, but around how you're making people feel. But if you're kind when you're doing it and you're building great rapport, then I think that the rest of the lesson will come. You'll have your lesson plans, you'll have your structures and all those things are really important. But if, if you're kind and you build a rapport, then I think you'll find you'll get great results with the kids.
0: Yeah, Perfect. And it is about building those relationships and the rapport to bring out the best results. That's right. So for you, what does swimming look like into the future? That question I pondered for a little while, Katrina, I'll be
1: honest. And (laughs) I I think one of the things that the pandemic has really shown us is that swimming lessons can't be taken online. Now, I know there are some online swimming lessons, but as a whole industry, Technology is probably not going to take over our industry. Unless someone can build a waterproof robot that teaches in the water, then maybe at some point. But I think there will definitely be a greater use of technology and we'll have seen that dramatically grow in the last two years through people having time and during the pandemic to develop these processes. So I think technology will definitely play a huge part in our industry, but I feel that we're never going to replace the teacher in the water making the kid feel awesome. Yeah. Because that part a robot can't do. Yeah, And so I think that that's one of the things coming out of the pandemic is that we can't pandemic-proof our industry. But what we can do is come up with strategies and things where we can use technology in the future to possibly make greater efficiencies.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's another way of looking at it. Yeah,
1: yeah. so, yes, I think that the short-term future in Victoria is that we'll have some nice little bounce back from the pandemic we'll try and get as many kids safe in the water as we possibly can because there's a whole cohort of kids who've had next to no swimming lessons now over two years particularly those that are turning sort of two and three in these coming few months are the kids that have had really no exposure to the water so these are going to be our most dangerous children over the short-term future and there's gonna be a need to be a lot of advocacy done with the government for them to understand the importance of upskilling this cohort. I also think for our industry, there's gonna be a shortage of swimming teachers, which we're already finding. And there's also gonna be some need for some government support in backfilling our whole industry and, and not just necessarily aquatics, but the whole sports industry. There's gonna to need to be some investment and some long-term thinking around how we backfill the whole industry because of the number of people that have left due to needing to find regular and systemic work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot needs to be done. I think it is really educating and it's hard because how do you educate a government that has no idea? As someone I noticed wrote on a post sometime about, oh, they don't understand swimming and they don't understand swim schools and how to run one well no they don't because a lot of the time they've been groomed for these government roles and they haven't actually run a business or if they had it's been something that's not an aquatic business so we have to get that understanding and I think it's amazing the people that do try and lobby the government and make the government understand what it's like to run an aquatics facility because To be able to put that work in and try and build that understanding in them, I think it's amazing and the commitment you have to have.
1: Yeah, I think we're really lucky at the moment in terms of we've got some great advocacy groups that have come together as part of the the COVID pandemic and the need to do that. So I think that more than ever, we're probably working together as an industry across all of the peak bodies in that advocacy space. So I think right now we're probably positioned better than we have been. In terms of understanding what the needs of the industry are, I think that it still sometimes falls on deaf ears. But I do think that the team that are working on that are really doing a a quite a great job at, at advocating for our industry and trying to work through Sport and Rec first, and then as their government department. But also beginning to work with the Department of Education and doing some work with them on where does swimming tie into the overall education of a child, and and a little bit of work in that space as well. So. I think as an industry as a whole, we all need to band together and when there is a call out for support, we all need to jump on that together. And I saw there was an uh, interview with Michael Klim who was saying a similar thing the other day on Channel 7, I think it was, where he was like, in Victoria, we've just got to come together. Yeah. You know, no one is an island now. We're all in the same boat, literally. And for us to get our voice heard, it needs to be one collective voice and not lots of little voices.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've got to come together and band together. This one's a little bit of a doozy. I think you've answered a bit of it as well, but how can we as an individual or an industry promote and develop the learn to swim and competitive side of swimming to encourage more participants but do that with less funding?
1: That is a very tricky question. Again, I think that the key element to that is that we need to work together. So if every little individual person spent $5, imagine what that collective $5 would accumulate to and what we could all work together you know with that money which is why the Vaya type boards and things like that who come together need to be really calling on each individual within those groups to for support I guess and for us to come together and also probably to to work out what the collective message is and what people are asking personally I feel that one of the real key points right now is that we need to be looking at a way for us to get free training So I think if we could train up more swim teachers and they don't have to outlay that money, I think that would be a key element to helping us rebuild the industry right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that for for me personally, that would be where I would be willing to spend my advocacy money, so to speak, to to get my voice heard in that space around making sure that we've got people coming through and that young people see it as a great job and a great opportunity to get a a formal qualification for free and to have this as as a future opportunity when they have it
0: yeah I really like that coming from the training side I mean if you can give them that opportunity to get the qualification and a lot of the time especially for young people coming into industry the three or four hundred dollars that it can be for a course is quite a big outlay and we can sit here and we can tell them okay you can make it back in a certain amount of time and you know if you put the effort in and it's great but they don't sometimes get that And they don't get the fact of having to save up to do a qualification. I did an interview with someone in the industry about it, and I said, You know, we understand as older and wiser people, when you want to do a professional development course, a lot of the time it is three, four, five hundred dollars, even a thousand dollars to do a course. But we understand that as adults, and we can work towards that, we have an income coming in. But if a young kid coming into the system is this is their first job, it can be quite a big expense to start off with.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think in terms of the other side of your question, Katrina, around the competitive swimming and how can we avenue people or more swimmers into that, I think we're currently faced, and I'll call it a crisis for competitive swimming in Victoria because we're two years behind our northern friends and they've had small stoppages but haven't had huge interruptions to their competitive programs. And in Victoria, ours have been pretty much decimated. And so I think we're going to be, really battling for the next, and I don't know how long this will go, I'm going to say it's a five-year cycle, but it could be longer than that, to really rebuild those swimmers back up and get our club squads, our top squads, back to that where they've got multiple national swimmers in them. From a grassroots level, I think just encouraging our swimmers to understand that there is a pathway through swimming lessons to other opportunities And that doesn't necessarily have to lead to competitive swimming, but I think letting our swimmers know that if you keep swimming and get a competency to a certain level, there's a whole array of opportunities that can open up to you. There's water polo. I have a little nine-year-old now who after the Olympics is adamant that she's going to the Olympics in water polo. She's just in love with water polo, but there's no clubs around. There's no opportunities for a nine-year-old to have a taste of that. Yep. And so I think that there's opportunities to, to work in with clubs like that. The canoeing and kayaking, I don't know about a lot of other people, but Jess Fox is, is a bit of a superstar in our household also after the Olympics and we were even watching the World Championship kayaking last night. Like the kids are a bit all over that, particularly the nine-year-old. And so she's going to be multiple-discipline Olympian, not just one. She's going to be water polo and kayaking. But I think that whilst those passions are ignited, we need to find ways for our kids to have the avenues through to these sports, whether it's actual competitive swimming or other competitive aquatic sports. As a learn-to-swim industry and, and as the grassroots level of swimming, we need to be encouraging the kids to get to the competency where they can surf, where they can water ski, where they can do triathlons, where they can participate in all of those events and get them through. Yeah, uh, because that—that's the real key to building up all of our, all of our buckets. I guess all of our Olympic buckets is to make sure that the, our kids are really strong in aquatics. And when you're talking about the funding, there doesn't have to be a funding model at the lower level. I, I get if kids are in learn to swim, then they need to be given the opportunity to compete with clubs without having to be members. They need you know come and try days. They need opportunities to taste the sports to work out if they want to compete in them before they have to outlay for uniforms and equipment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I I think there needs to be a little bit of probably an overall look from the swimming clubs and the other sporting clubs' point of view as to how they integrate back with grassroots. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we just want kids to be able to have a go.
0: Yeah.
1: We want to look at ways where the kids just get those opportunities to participate.
0: It is definitely opportunities giving them that chance, like you said, giving those come and try days where they can try every single sport, aquatic sport that's out there. Yeah, imagine having a water polo. Maybe it's Paul Sadler water polo. Paul Sadler, maybe kid. maybe it is <laughs> Katrina. Maybe it is. <laughs> I love another version of it. Mm. Yeah, you know, you've got a ham to surf you to do kayaking to do what oh you've got to have that understanding of swimming so we are the base for all those aquatic sports that's right so i think, I think in terms them? of building
1: that through we need to be working with the peak bodies of those sports creating a very clear pathway and it's not pick the best and take the best yeah it's about build a bigger base and the best will come to the top and i think unfortunately in competitive sport there is a lot of pick the best take the best through instead of build the base and make the base bigger so that the best just make their way to the top. And the wider the base we know, the more that you've got to to come to the peak. And so I think that in terms of building competitive swimming, we need to build the base, make the base bigger. Yeah. So that then there is just more natural coming up to the top. And, you know, that's our responsibilities from the learn to swim industry is get more teachers, get more programs, build that base.
0: I like that. It is definitely being at that base, giving them opportunities, letting them try without the commitment and what tickles their fancy and then it's supporting them on that opportunity to so go, yeah, okay, you like canoeing, how can we get you canoeing easier? Is it somewhere that you have to travel or is it something you can do, you know, in your own backyard? That's right. um, how can you tap into water polo? Do we have to then build a, a water polo club around that area? or you know can you travel to a facility it's just something we have to give them the opportunity to taste it and then see whether they want to devour the whole cake that's right yeah that's right because
1: kids flick around a lot between sports and so i think the real key is just to build that base so that the ones who really find the passion for it will continue to compete
0: yeah brilliant exactly it. i like that i love that answer is there anything you wanted to emphasise? Because we have gone through that so quickly, but you've given such a wealth of information straight up. Is there anything else that you wanted to emphasise? And I think for, for me,
1: like I'm just genuinely passionate about making kids, sure that kids love the water. I think there's fabulous opportunities for young teachers in our industry to develop their careers. It doesn't need to be a part-time job. There's fabulous career opportunities for people in the aquatics industry in a whole array of avenues it doesn't necessarily mean you're teaching swimming from nine to five every day of the week or it doesn't mean you have to work Sundays for the rest of your life but there are really fabulous opportunities within our industry and I think we as an industry really need to make sure that we're becoming better at spruiking those yeah instead of just waiting for people to turn up on our door to be a swimming teacher and then go oh let's work you through let's start to really push the industry as a whole as a fabulous career opportunity
0: yeah 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 I like that and you even said that to me in regards to training who's going to be the next one coming through it's um, sometimes it's not about making you the big and the best it's about giving other opportunities to people as well to you know build that wider platform to be able to tap into.
1: That's right and I think as leaders in the aquatics industry it's our responsibility to make sure that we have our own replacements ready to go. Yeah. So that when we step out of our roles or we move on to a different role, that there's the next person there ready to come on and we identify those people early. That we have two or three young people training up underneath us ready to take over. That you've got the next manager of your facility sitting there ready to go. So that we're really building that industry as a whole. And, you know, I love that saying of, you know, what if I train them and leave? What if you don't train them and they stay? <laughs> and it's like, I, I I really love the fact that we, at swimland invest in our young people and do a lot of training with them and we know most of them do go off to alternate careers down the track but we like to think that we make some of our nurses just you know better people by being having been at swimland and taught children and we've taught them empathy and we've taught them resilience and we've taught them these things throughout their career as a swim teacher that they go and take on into their nursing career and then they become fabulous nurses because of those skills so i think as mentors within the industry we need to make sure that our priority is developing the next lot of young people coming through the industry
0: yeah that's exactly it. it's about developing them and taking that opportunity to be able to show them also what they can do if they can't see it being done they don't know that that role is there we need to be able to publicize and put that stuff out there to show them that there are those roles there are those opportunities a lot of the time they can be blind to seeing what's out there
1: that's right and so we, we really need to be advocating at the, at the high schools and at the tertiary institutions around what the aquatic industry can offer in terms of careers and opportunities for young people.
0: Yeah. And you don't know what will turn around. I mean, they could go in and they can be a, a nurse or a teacher and then go on maternity leave and then put their kid into swimming and they're not going to put their kid into swimming if they didn't enjoy it in the first place. So That's if right. you're teaching them and showing them how to be a great person when they first come into industry, they go off and be teachers and then you don't know if they turn around and come back later on, or they inspire their children to take on that role when they first start out in their first employment opportunity. That's right.: Well thank you so much. As no worries. Well, Wealth information, and thank you for sharing it, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it, but there's also some different points of view in there too, which I really really like.
1: Perfect. All right. Thanks so much for your invitation, Katrina. This has been really great fun. I always love catching up, bring that little sparkle to my day. And I look forward to talking to you soon. <laughs> Thank you. All right. See you, mate. Bye. Yeah. Have a good one.